Impact leadership. What does it mean? To wake up each day knowing your work, your effort, and passion is being transformed into creating change that makes a difference in your business, organization, your community, and your own life experience. And it can be hard to stay on track when at times the winds, they do not blow in your direction. Have you been there? I know I have. But you persevere. And one step forward at a time, you create something better. This is fulfillment in action. This is passion for impact. Today, we are having a conversation with two women who have a passion for gender diversity and equity and have hit the pavement with that passion by creating an impact business that has the most fitting name, The Thoughtful Company. Isn't it great? The Thoughtful Company supports women in understanding and negotiating their compensation and advises employers on attracting and retaining women over the long term. Their goal is to create structures that allow women to thrive over their full career. Co-founders Jillian and Sophie are equal parts passion, purpose, and action. Ready to grow your leadership and your skills? Here we go. This is the Passion for Impact podcast with speaker, trainer, and socially conscious advocate, Tricia Miltimore. Thank you for joining in. This is Passion for Impact podcast, where we have one clear goal, to educate, to empower and elevate social consciousness in people, business, and teams. Passion for Impact is brought to you by Rock Your Leadership, a customized module-based leadership training program for social enterprise companies and leaders. We train impact leaders on how to grow success, drive change, and most importantly, not burn out. Visit passionigniter.ca forward slash rock your leadership for more details. Well, the Thoughtful Company, their mission to enable recognition, opportunity, and influence for women in the workplace through individual and employer coaching. Co-founders Jill and Sophie want women to be paid equally to men and want workplaces to be set up for women, not just for men. They relentlessly drive towards this in two ways, supporting women in understanding and negotiating their compensation. Yes, I think many of us can need help with that. And advising employers on attracting and retaining women over the long term. If you have a team, if you are a woman, or you know a woman and you want to be an ally, this conversation is for you. And I am excited for it. Welcome, Jill and Sophie to Passion for Impact. Thank you so much. Excited to be here. Thanks so much. I, I really am. First of all, okay, The Thoughtful Company. I mean, you could not have a better name for a company than The Thoughtful Company. How did that come about? Like, I just, I'm so curious because I just love it so much. Thank you. <laughs> we have to give credit to Jillian there. Well, so Sophie and I had always had chats before we started The Thoughtful Company about um, just, you know, working in general, woman in the workplace, et cetera, very similar views. And one of those views is we both like to do things really well. And, you know, sometimes companies are moving so quickly that they don't do things really thoughtfully and then we have to redo them again. So that was kind of one of the one of the reasons. And then I think with the work we're doing, which is supporting women and helping companies support women, it's so important to do it thoughtfully. And so it kind of just all lined up with our general views on how to work and then specifically what we're doing in our work. 
I love it. So it's the thoughtful comp, so CO, not full name. So the thoughtful CO.net is the website for anyone listening who wants to check it out. Okay, so let's get some context, as always, in the beginning here. Um, if you wouldn't mind maybe sharing a little bit about yourselves and how you got involved in this arena and put the thoughtful company together. I don't know who wants to start, but feel free to take it. I can jump in. So I think it's been kind of a long journey for me. I initially studied uh, structural engineering. And when I started university, I would say I noticed gender inequity less, at least in my my own life in university. And a big piece of that is absolutely privileged being a white woman in an urban Canadian environment. There was definitely some protection to that. And then another piece as well is studying engineering is uh, less subjective than other uh degrees. So I think I was kind of protected from some of the biases that some in less subjective, or sorry, more subjective um, other disciplines might have got more from their uh, professors. And so it wasn't until I graduated that, you know, I would do well on tests and everything was so kind of factual and you got it right or you got it wrong. And then I enter the workplace and I did start to notice more of those inequities for women in the workplace. And a lot of it is kind of small challenges, things like I would notice my male colleagues having an easier time making professional connections with uh, clients uh, because they didn't have sort of some of that awkwardness that I might have if I was asking someone to say, grab a drink after a meeting and catch up um, some of those social challenges. And so there was a lot of different things like that. And also being young and soft-spoken, I think sometimes that aggravated um, sort of that inequity that I was seeing. And so I um, launched with a few colleagues a nonprofit organization called Women in Consulting Engineering, um, WCE. And so that is a nonprofit organization that has monthly events for women to connect with other women working in consulting engineering. And I co-chaired on that for three years. And as I stepped down from that role and did the first pass on to the new directors, I was kind of feeling so much excitement for this group that had grown, but also seeing how many other industries there were beyond engineering that needed this kind of support and to build that community and how many women were listening in and, and looking for that support. And so I wanted to uh, kind of bring that broader. And that's when Jill and I, like she already mentioned, we'd kind of chatted about, you know, our mutual passion for studying gender equity in the workplace for a long time. And the Thoughtful Co. just kind of snowballed from there on how can we better equip women to be successful in the workplace, equip companies to support and retain them, and then equip individuals to negotiate their compensation more effectively and help be a contributor in closing that gender pay gap. Wow, that's an inspiring journey. Thank you, Sophie. How about you, Jill? How did you become a part of all of this? Yeah, I. Um, so I started off my career in Toronto and started off doing executive compensation consulting. So essentially what that means is working with board of directors to help them figure out how to pay their top executives, which is a lot of base salary and bonus, but also long-term equity programs and how to set up things that make sense for shareholders. Um, 
So kind of a kind of a niche uh, way to start. And then I'm from Vancouver, so I'd always planned to move back here and ended up moving back to do in-house compensation at Aritzia. And then most recently was at Lululemon after that, where I led the global executive compensation team and global equity compensation team. So really been very focused on exec compensation my whole career and ended up leaving Lululemon, I think maybe now seven months ago, which is crazy. Um, And uh, yeah, Sophie and I didn't really intentionally think about starting this company. It kind of started off honestly as a blog. Like we both really wanted to write about these issues that we were thinking, you know, gender pay gap and engineering firms not always being structurally set up for women. And then after we started doing that, we really realized we actually want to get in there and make a change. And I kind of had this light bulb moment. I could use my niche skill set in a way that I was really passionate about by helping women negotiate their compensation. And a lot of it is really just helping them understand how compensation works, how salaries are set, how equity compensation works, which can be really complex when you can negotiate, which is there's many, many instances you can and a lot of people don't. And then leveraging Sophie's skills from working with engineering firms and how to set up companies structurally that work better for women. So how to attract them, retain them, promote them and actually start getting women to to leadership levels. So it was very, um, it was very organic. We didn't kind of sit down one day and we're like, we're starting a consulting firm. It was more, we're starting a blog and then let's do this and then let's do that. And, um, and yeah, it's really grown and, um, and really happy with where it's at right now. Wow. Very good. Like, that's amazing. You're starting off with a blog and then it grows into what it has. And what I really admire about your approach is that it's not just getting women to ask for what they want to need, but truly helping companies to create the structure so they can access it. And that's, to me, so inspiring. When you th- Let's talk about the women's side for just a little bit. Uh, I know people listening are like, okay, tell me, how, how do I get the raise? How do I negotiate for more? <laughs> What do you see as the biggest challenges to women negotiating for what they, their value and what they want to need? And I guess let's start with the challenges, then we go to the tips after that. What do you see as the challenges? I think um, from my perspective, overall, the two biggest ones I see, and it's definitely different for every person, but overarching would be understanding Um, And I think I've just been lucky that I've grown up being inside compensation teams within companies. So I know how everything works. Mm. Um, And I feel like I've learned through coaching so many people over the past few months that it really is a black box and how decisions are made and how bonus programs work and how equity works and um, all that kind of stuff. So just equipping women with the knowledge, they feel so much more powerful in asking for it. And I think that's quite, you know, so many women don't want to ask for something unless they fully understand it. Um, So that's been one big barrier that I've loved. Just the education piece can be so powerful. And then I think the second piece is like we just talk ourselves out of it. And and so many of my clients um, know in their gut that they should be asking for more, but they talk themselves out of it. And so a big piece of what I do is just um, equip them with the facts and the knowledge and the support to feel comfortable asking for it. 
And really, I help women understand that asking for more money and negotiating is not always a negative thing. You can do it in a really positive way. Um, and it can actually be a positive experience for everyone involved. Like it doesn't have to be this big, uh, huge negative experience. So um, yeah, so those would be kind of the two overall things that I see. What do you mean by the black box? Describe that. Uh, just no one knows how compensation decisions are made and like how bonus programs and equity structures work. So for example, something that I see quite a bit is when you leave a company um, and say you have a bonus program that pays out in the next few months or you, you have an equity grant that vests in the next few months, you can ask your next employer to cover some of that. And that's something that I thought would people would know, but so many people don't even think about that or understand that that's something you can negotiate for. So I kind of mean black box in the way that um, I find that just certain people like understand how these things work. And it's often men probably through networks and, you know, being told what to ask for and how to do it. But unless you know how things work, it's really hard to kind of make the system work for you. Mm, Knowledge is power. Yeah, totally. Out of curiosity, from what you've seen in the last little bit, and I've certainly seen a pattern of this in my, with my own clients, is how are women talking themselves out of it? Like, what is their reason to not ask or reasons to not ask? I've had the majority of my clients have said to me, I didn't negotiate on hire because I wanted to prove myself first. And so I would say that is the biggest reason. Like, they, they're not 100% sure that they deserve it or they feel like they need to prove themselves before asking. Whereas men will often come in and know their value and know that they need to negotiate up front and they're going to do really well at their job. Um, so it really is a confidence thing. And I think, yeah, we just, even for a promotion, I see women talking to themselves out of it, like, oh, I'll just be promoted and I won't negotiate then. And then if I do a really good job in this role, then I'll negotiate at that point. So we kind of like at at every step, you can talk yourself out of it. And so just coaching and supporting and being letting people know that they already have value right now. That's why you're getting promoted or that's why you're getting offered this job. And to just leverage that that a little bit more. Right. I think to add to that piece of confidence, too, is there's that feeling and and it's not a, a lack of confidence on an individual, but anytime you're a minority in any kind of environment, there is that sort of subtle subconscious temptation to sort of think, thank you for having me and letting me be here. And so I think any women in very male dominated environments as well, that gets potentially more exaggerated because it's harder to negotiate when you sort of just feel like, thanks for including me because otherwise I don't look like any of the people around me in this, in this space. Oh, that is a powerful point. And even if it's not super conscious, it's like kind of there in the background without even maybe being aware of it is what you're saying. Exactly. Wow. I never thought of that before. So I, interestingly, I've been working with administrative assistants, EAs, you know, very professional women at different leadership events. And I've been noticing a thread of conversation around, you know, when the, we're talking about asking for pay increases or benefits or whatnot, that sometimes it seems like if they have flexibility 
so that they can, you know, manage household balance, if you want to call it that, although it's a terrible word, um, if they are receiving some form of flexibility, they will take that instead of asking for more money. Like it's like it has to be one or the other, mm-hmm. um, which I think is an interesting thing. What are your perspectives on that kind of scenario? Yeah, I think that's so interesting, especially over the past couple of years, because I think with COVID, um, so many of us have been working from home. So our schedules have become much more flexible. And now it's almost becoming an expectation in a compensation ask or in a new offer. You know, like if you're in a role that you still have to be in office every single day, that's um, that's almost becoming more rare now than having some flexibility. So mm-hmm. I definitely saw that. Um, a couple of years ago where that was used as more as a negotiating tactic. But I think now we should feel empowered to ask for both. Like that doesn't make up for being paid below what you're worth. You know, that's an added perk of the job. And so many companies are doing that to attract and retain the best people. Um, but don't take flexibility and don't not ask for a bonus because of that or ask for a little bit more base salary. So I do think they should be held really separately. Um, And we know like most often women are the ones asking for these flexibility um, and those work schedules so they can make it work for their families. Um, And so if you're not asking for money as well, that's going to perpetuate the wealth gap again. Yeah. And you know what? Someone listening right now needed to hear that. Needed to hear that they can ask for both. Yeah, 100%. So I, I think that's a, yeah, that's important. That's a really important point. So we have, uh, you provide the tools and the mindsets and some of the, most importantly, the information for women to feel empowered in their negotiation skills and, you know, advancing. Um, any tips for women who are listening to, to be able to take, you know, immediate action towards, you know, improving their situation and moving towards their goals? Yeah, I mean, I think overall, my biggest thing is follow your gut. And your gut knows when you should ask for more compensation. Um, And so don't talk yourself out of that. And Mm -hmm. then prep, prep, prep. I think we often go into a conversation sometimes thinking we're going to negotiate and then don't end up doing it because nerves or um, it can be an intense conversation that we're avoiding. Um, If you prep and practice and have a little speech that you're going to say, you can do it and you will do it in such an amazing way. And I think so many of us don't spend the time to really invest in ourselves and uh, take the time to practice these things and uh, do them well and and instead are just working really hard for our companies. So taking the time to really um, to prep and do your research and feel really good about your ask, then it then it doesn't have to be a super negative thing. And then again, I think starting the conversation with negotiating and compensation, the first time you do it is the hardest. After that, it always gets easier. Overall, it's a part of your manager's job, whether that's your current manager or a hiring manager. So, you know, it's in their job description. It's part of what they do. So the first time is going to be the hardest. But after that, I promise it gets easier. Okay, that's good to know, because it is very scary, I think, especially that first time. If you wouldn't mind sharing some tips for someone who's 
simply asking for more pay, because that's kind of a, I don't know if that's simple, but in my mind, it seems simpler than asking for all these other things or um, other benefits or negotiating equity, whatnot. So if, if it's that kind of conversation, like what tips, how do you start it? Like, would you walk in the room and be like, hey, I need to talk to you about something. What are your, I know I'm going really basic here, but what are your tips for, for asking? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And, um, and so my overall tip is start off positive. Um, and started off in a way where um, you're explaining that you love your role. If this is true, don't make up things that aren't true, but you love your role. You've enjoyed working at the company. Um, you really want to stay there long term, if that's true. And because of that, you just wanted to bring up compensation so you can be totally open and transparent about where you're at. And so okay. it's really like starting off positive why, you, why you're bringing this up. And it is because you want to stay at the company, right? Like you're not, if you wanted to leave, you would leave. You want to bring up compensation so you can make more money and stay there. So being positive um, and framing it in a way that's almost beneficial to your manager. So why you're bringing it up, it's really so you can be open and transparent so they know where you're at. Because I okay. guarantee you, your manager would rather know than, uh, than ha- not know and have you leave because of compensation. Right. So it's a it's it's for everyone's benefit that you have this transparency in what you're seeking and what you would like. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so that's on the woman's side. Some great tips there for kind of you know stepping into your power in many ways. Just before I kind of switch over to on the side of the structures and the company and leaders, um, is there any resources that you suggest? Uh, for, for women to be able to access this kind of information. And of course, working with you guys is one option. Maybe your blog or other resources you think would be great or books. Yeah, so we do have a blog on the website where um, I have one article that's kind of talking about overall t- top 10 tips for negotiating compensation, which is a great resource. And then if you do have equity compensation, so things like stock options or RSUs, we have some explainers on those as well. Um, so great resources there. And I would also say leverage your networks and the women around you. I think we're now in a place where people are starting to talk about compensation and it's becoming less taboo. So leverage mentors, leverage women around you um, and support those below you in these types of conversations. Oh, that's so important, right? Find a mentor and be a, yeah, the mentee side, both sides, I think are just so gratifying and, and helpful um, for everyone involved. Okay, great. So check out the blog, get in there, do some reading, be empowered, get your yeah, your information so that you are that much more fueled with with all the, I guess, the mindsets and the details. And of course, I think the biggest thing we're taking away from all of this is ask, ask for what you want, you know, mm-hmm. and get out there and ask for it. Okay, Sophie, I love that you help to, or not help to, but your field is like designing high rise structures. Is that right? Like actual high rises. (laughs) So cool. Anyways, I can't draw a thing. I can't even think in those terms. So um, (laughs) I bow to you and your skill set. But what I also love is that not only can you do that, but you also are all about with this um, company, all about um, creating structures in the organizations to help women access and be able to take on those leadership roles and those opportunities. So I want to know more about that, that whole like process of helping organizations. And when you say structures, like what are the most common structures that companies are missing or policies? Share a little bit about what we need to do as leaders to really help women in the workplace. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think it's such a front of mind topic right now. And I think we're sort of in this early stage where people are listening, people are talking, but they aren't necessarily sure how to turn those positive intentions into action and into actual change. Um, Because in many ways, it's a new topic, and I think has been especially aggravated in the last couple of years that we really need to keep women in the workplace. And so when I think of structures that really need to be implemented, that sort of the easy, low-hanging fruit that can make a lot of impact, um, the first thing that comes to mind for me is employee resource groups, um, because I think that's a great forum to at least start having those conversations with the people that are looking for that support. Because every company is going to be unique, whether it's the region they're in, the industry they're in, or the specific social and political structure of their own working environment, they'll have different needs for how to support their employees properly. So an employee resource group is a great tool. And within that, there's kind of two different groupings. There's the advocacy group. And so oftentimes people ask if if there's an employee resource group and it's for women, can I come if I'm not a woman? And the advocacy group is for everyone. That's for everyone to have discussions about how to make those positive changes and then the support group, I would say, is comes after the advocacy group. And that's maybe where uh, there's a space for just that minority group to have important conversations that they're maybe not comfortable sharing with a broader group. But then maybe those more sort of private conversations in a safe space can be brought to the advocacy group to say, OK, now how can we turn this into positive change? And so... I think having an employee resource group is a really powerful tool. And then another piece I would say is making everyone part of that positive change. And I say that in terms of level of seniority, whether you're a senior leader or you're a new employee, and then also gender, because so often with companies that are lacking women, the people, and so in this case, the women who need that support are the ones really pushing to make this change and then are often, you know, running these organizations or they're hosting International Women's Day events or they're, you know, having these meetings on how can we retain women, which is great, but they need support too, because now all of a sudden you might run the risk of burning that group out more than they already were because they're taking on this additional task. So it needs to be, there needs to be more people championing that process um, so that, you don't sort of kind of put more risk of retaining those those same people. Um, so those are the big two pieces that come to mind. And I think really as well, having it come from a leadership perspective, particularly from someone who doesn't maybe identify with that minority group, because it really shows to people that are um, more junior or newer to the company that this is important and this is part of being a member of this organization, because in some ways I find, you know, if I compare myself to my mom when she was um, at the same level in her career, things that she dealt with were maybe more um, direct, whereas things that I deal with are more subtle. And I find often um, men my own age might notice them less because they never worked in the environment where it was more direct and exaggerated in terms of gender inequity. Um, and so I think sometimes it's harder to have that organize, that conversation with those individuals because they didn't 
really see the extreme. Whereas I, I often find sometimes I think people expect that it's more difficult to have those conversations with much more senior men, but I think they remember when it was um, more exaggerated. So I think mm. having that kind of top-down approach really helps to show everyone we're all working towards this. This isn't just for this group that needs it. It's for all of us to help improve. Wow. Oh, some good tips there. What policies are really limiting for women that you still see in the workplace? I think one that comes to mind, um, I mean, this is kind of a whole topic in a whole can of worms in its own, but Mm -hmm. parental leave policy comes top of mind Mm -hmm. um, because still there are um, many companies that their policies either are exclusive to birth mothers or there is a longer, larger top up to birth mothers. And so in that case, there's still sort of a sway in terms of a company evaluating I'm using air quotes, risk of a woman of a certain age that they wouldn't allocate to a man of the same age because there's still a higher likelihood that that woman may choose to take leave because financially it often makes sense for families um, if you are able to get a longer leave as a birth mother. So that's one piece that I think comes into play. And then another uh, issue that I often see is kind of looking for mentorship in the workplace. I mean, I have some incredible mentors that are men and have some incredible mentors that are women, but I do talk to those individuals about different things because the women have often, we have some shared experiences that I may be able to get support from my male mentors, but not to the same degree. And because often there are so few women at that senior level, you know, there's a risk of really overburdening those women. So how do you kind of get that growth. And so when I think of a policy change or a structure that can be put in place, I think having a very intentional um, mentorship program where you are making sure you're providing that support to younger and mid-level women to keep them in the workforce. And if it needs to be shared between, you know, they have multiple mentors because you can't, there's not enough senior women to give that mentorship to everyone. I think that's really powerful. And then also in that structure, it gives the opportunity for senior women to be mentors to younger men, which I often find in male dominated environments. Um, Younger men never have senior women as mentors because they're so few and they're always mentoring women. So I think having a very structured and intentional mentorship or buddy program, whatever kind of works with the social structure of your workplace environment can be really valuable to make sure that you're kind of intercepting anyone who might be thinking about leaving and and an opportunity to correct anything and kind of retain those people in your workplace. Wow. There are so many good tips in there. Okay. Thank you. (laughs) I feel like this could be a conversation that just goes for like eight hours long because there's just so much, (laughs) right? There's so much in there. And I I feel really passionate about it. um, This as well. You know, I'm, I'm a mom of four. I've most, my, most of my career has been entrepreneurial. Um, I've seen some, a lot, a lot of challenges uh, myself in terms of being in the workplace and then, you know, with managing all the different roles and, um, how things are evolving and changing. But I mean, I, for me, I, I always feel like if there was universal daycare, uh, childcare, there would just be such a big change and, and allowing or providing opportunity for women in the workplace a little more recently, my husband has a coworker 
And my husband never got time off when I had all the kids, but in a very short amount of time, now his coworker is spending four weeks at home with his his partner who just had a child. So I think there's there's changes happening. And it's interesting how I feel like a lot of the changes have been in the, the inside culture, obviously top down with the leadership and their policies, but it's the inside culture kind of um, thought processes that need to, to change as well. Anyways, I'm rambling, but I just feel like, do you see that universal childcare could be a game changer as well? Or is that something that's in my limited understanding is something I think is important? No, I think that's a really fantastic point because one thing that we found in our parental leave report that we just released was that um, only it was 75% of respondents didn't have any um, at work sort of support services when they returned from a parental leave. So that includes daycare. It also includes pump and lactation rooms and other services Mm -hmm. as well. And that's quite a, a large number. And when you think how expensive daycare can be in for so many families it is more um financially viable for one parent to stop working while their children are young because unless you make a certain threshold in your salary it is actually more affordable um to have someone stay home and to actually go down to one income which is such a wild concept when we think of you know how to make a successful society and and keeping more people in the workplace. So I think having more affordable daycare is really, really important. And then it does help alleviate the burden because there are some really, really large organizations that it's it's more feasible to implement potentially an on-site daycare or provide um, compensation or coupons for nearby daycares for their, their, um, their their employees that are parents. But for smaller companies, it can be really difficult to do that, especially when maybe you're so small that there's one, only one parent in your office. So having a more universal system, I think, is a really important move to help alleviate the sort of overburden that we see as there are still more women who are the primary caregiver. Mm-hmm. So um, this uh, uh, podcast is called passion for impact. And I'm super inspired by your passion that you both have taken and created something out of it. Let's talk about that story a little bit, if you don't mind. Um, You started the company uh, with a blog and now you're consulting and you're working with both women and organizations. Again, I think that's brilliant. Um, What are some of the challenges in getting started? And especially in this particular kind of realm and industry and topic, what were some of the challenges and how did you work through them? Yeah, I think, um, you know, you being an entrepreneur, I'm sure you can relate to a lot of them, but just uh, my my overall biggest challenge is where to spend the time. You know, there's 8 million things we want to do in a day. We're both so passionate about what we're doing. Where should we focus our time? Um, and I think we've started this company at a really great time in terms of we can openly talk about these things and it's not taboo. And I would say everyone that Sophie and I have talked to, um, and Sophie, hopefully the same for you, but um, has been supportive and really happy about what we're doing, which is awesome. So it just shows that these topics are kind of mainstream now. And I mm-hmm. think the one piece that Sophie brought up before was um, so many companies are on board with this topic and want to, you know, talk about it, do something about it, but it's really getting the budget behind it. 
And that's that's the biggest piece. Like so many companies want to make these changes and want to be do, doing these things, but really demonstrating the business case behind it as well. And there is an incredible business case. Companies with women in leadership roles perform better. They have higher share price performance. Um, there's so many amazing stats that um, uh, Lean In and McKinsey publish every year, which um, are so great to have as reference points. Um, but I think, yeah, really actually getting companies to put the dollars behind these initiatives um, is one is one thing we're working through. And then for women themselves, I think it is um, just taking the time to invest in yourself. And, th- and that's kind of like the one barrier. Like, let's take the time and actually talk about your strengths and how to present yourself and how to go into a performance review in a really confident way. But that means they have to take, you know, an hour off from doing work or supporting their kids or being a caregiver to their parents or, you know, like it's focusing on yourself. Um, and I think women are so uh, supportive of so many other people in their lives that that is a barrier, getting them to actually uh, to focus on themselves. Hmm. Yeah, ladies, we need to be a little selfish every now and then. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a bad thing. Exactly. How about yourself, uh, Sophie? What else do you have to include in there? Yeah, I think that was that is a main piece of it is that sort of stressing what that sort of tangible value is that can be provided in terms of company success, because I think it is in some ways a new concept and something that hasn't necessarily been built into previous operational structures in terms of a cost that's being spent. But because so many companies are investing in EDI policies and improving retention and then seeing such successful returns, I think we are moving in the right direction. So I think it's it's a really, really critical time now. Um, and I, you know, I really do hope we see that needle moving more soon. I love your uh, concept of, you know, the low hanging fruit for uh, organizations to implement an employee resource group, the advocacy side of it. So um, just out of curiosity, I want to go back there really quickly. Uh, how, like, what do you see as being a, a determination of success or not with that? Because I have seen organizations where they say they want to do something, they have a group, they have a survey, they do some kind of like investigative or research, um, getting feedback, but then nothing happens from it. And it almost causes more harm than good in some ways if they're not acting on this information. Any tips for organizations for making sure they follow through? Yes, absolutely. I think that's it's such an easy kind of thing to to have no follow through with. And I would say the biggest takeaway is data, metrics, targets, tracking. And I think it all starts with what is like any sort of new initiative in a workplace. What is the intention? What are we trying to achieve? And so from that, I would say define ambitious, but meaningful and realistic targets. And so that will look different at different companies because it might be, uh, you know, a, a smaller pool from a graduation standpoint or other companies within your industry are more equitable. And so maybe you have a retention issue, et cetera. So the targets are going to look different company to company, but setting meaningful targets then and, the, and then setting a frequency to check in and and see if you are on track to meet those goals, both long term and short term. And so then you can start implementing policies and maybe it's your mentorship program or your employee resource group or it's doing outreach with 
academic settings or within industry events. And then at these checkpoints, you can see which areas are moving and which aren't. And so then you need to potentially go back and adjust things or reinvest your time. Because I think so often it's really easy to, you know, have this sort of one kickoff or, you know, this one group started, but not actually check in on what is happening long term or even things like tracking retention within a certain group that's participating actively within a mentorship program versus a group that's maybe less active. And so, yeah, I think similar to any new initiative in an organization, I would say having meaningful targets, setting an appropriate frequency, and then tracking the success within those, and then re, re, reassessing your um, strategies at those checkpoints to see if maybe you need to reevaluate where you're putting your energy. Yes, I love that. Okay. Some amazing tip. Very thoughtful. That's why <laughs> your company is called the Thoughtful. Is it the Thoughtful Co? Is that how you refer to it? Yes. yes yeah. Of course, people can get in contact with you guys, the both of you, in terms of coaching for women and also coaching for organizations, which again is so important on both sides. Your journey has certainly brought you to a really interesting place, making some serious impact. What is next for the Thoughtful Co? What's coming up next? And what do you see happening uh, in terms of positive um, changes in the future for, for this industry and for your area of expertise? That is a great question. We have, um, Sophie actually just created like a massive tracker of all the things that are coming up next for us. So we have a giant <laughs> list. I would say the ones that we're kind of launching right now are workshops um, so for organizations or companies, um, kind of like lunch and learn workshops where we can take you through some of the really impactful things we're finding, which Sophie kind of touched on. So one is how to create and manage an ERG. Um, and Sophie has done a bunch of work there. So sharing her experiences, um, and so a really impactful workshop one I run is how to effectively negotiate your compensation. Um, so I've done that for a few women's organizations. Um, and we have another one on data tracking, which Sophie was just talking about in the previous question. So we're really excited about um, those shorter, really impactful sessions that can hopefully help us reach um, more companies and more organizations um, and more people. Mm. Sophie? Yeah, I think it's I think Jill kind of covered all the the main points there, but it is funny. It you know we we're so new in so many ways, and so it's really exciting to see how much we've grown in this short time. And it is hopefully going to be a really exciting year for us. But I am really looking forward to doing more of um, these workshops as well because it's such a fantastic way to help kind of companies that are maybe having these conversations for the first time um, do some of that initial work and and help start to implement some really meaningful um, policy and support programs. And I'm really looking forward to that. You know, the work you're doing is needed. I look at my three girls and I wonder how it's going to be different for them. And I think it's going to be different for them in many ways. And I know we, we have a long way to go, but because of people like yourselves and your organization. So I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being champions for women in the workplace, uh, supporting men and women to create space and opportunity. And it's just, uh, 
a very inspiring story that how you started with a blog and, and now you're here and you're consulting and I'm, I'm excited about these workshops. You, you send me the links. I'm I'll share it. I'm excited about that. Amazing. Before we kind of get to our last question, um, you have some offers. So why don't you share your offers? And then I have one more little question for each of you. Sure. So yeah, two offers. I'll start on the first one. Um, we are offering 20% off your first compensation negotiation session. And so that is an intro Zoom call, so you can be located anywhere um, and helping you to feel empowered to really negotiate your compensation in whatever form that is. Maybe it's a performance review, a promotion, or a new offer. And so we talk through the different elements of your compensation, how you want to present it, how you want to ask, which I really like focusing on one number instead of a range, and then how to talk through your strengths and do some role playing, which seems weird, but can be really, really impactful for the conversations. Awesome, thank you. Yeah, and we have one other offer as well, which is we just um, released our 2022 parental leave report. And so that looked at industries all across Canada um, and where, so we're offering 25% off purchasing that parental leave report. And so it's a great way to see you know, where your policy stands, whether you're an employee or an employer um, with other industries within your sector, um, and, or sorry, with other companies within your sector and, you know, help to have either validate the policy that you already have, uh, pat yourself on the back or have some important conversations on what other things that might be implemented if you want to um, help move that needle a little bit. Awesome. Thank you. So important, impactful things here, opportunities to work with both of you. Uh, again, it is the thoughtfulco.net. Did I get that right? Yeah. The thoughtfulco.net. I got it right right at the end of the interview, right? That's key. Um, okay. One more question for you. I love this one. I probably ask it every episode, but share with me the best wisdom you have ever received. Who wants to go first? <laughs> Who's going to take that one? Oh, God. <laughs> so, do you have an answer? I need a sec. <laughs> oh, yeah. Let's see. It could even be a mantra that you live by or something like that. Oh, I think I have one. Oh, yeah? Um, okay. Yeah. I would say the most sort of important mantra that I live by is it's not if you need to make change and, you know, sometimes – we can reflect on mistakes we might have made or something we would have done differently. Always just think about those as how can I improve in the future and grow and just continue to grow. Don't dwell in that moment, just always continue to grow. And I think that's also really been helpful to me in terms of growing this, this business as well, because things always look differently and you can always shift and pivot and improve in the future. But there's no point in dwelling on something that you didn't like the outcome. Mm, love that. How about you, Joe? So I think right now, if I'm thinking of my mantra, it's really um, following the things that give me energy. And I've really, since leaving kind of the corporate world and now starting this entrepreneurial journey, I've really been trying to stick to that and uh, helping women negotiate their compensation thoroughly brings me joy. And I think it, it gives me energy every one of these conversations I have. And I haven't had that in previous roles. And I think I just feel like I'm in the right place right now. And I think just following what gives you energy, whether that's 
mm. in work or social, um, like what people kind of bring you up instead of potentially drain you. And especially right now, I mean, we're, the world has gone through crazy things in the past few years. So um, really making sure you stick to things that bring you energy instead of instead of drain you. Okay, well, I am very inspired. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for your expertise and your energy to the both of you, Jill and Sophie. And of course, thank you for sharing your passion for impact. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Those were amazing questions too. That really got me thinking as well. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Passion for Impact is sponsored by the Inspire Store. Need a gift that inspires? Inspire Store features exclusive ethically made goods and jewelry that embodies these three words. Yes, you can. Every purchase supports Food Banks Canada. Plus, you will receive Trisha Miltimore's popular personal development Shift Up e-course. Empowerment awaits you. Shop with impact at inspirestore.org. Hey, if you love learning how to live and lead in a caring and fulfilling way and you find this show inspiring, please share with your friends, rate and review this podcast. Passion for Impact is brought to you by Rock Your Leadership, a customized module-based leadership training program for social enterprise companies and leaders. We train impact leaders on how to grow success, drive change and not burn out. Visit passionigniter.ca forward slash rock your leadership for more details. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Passion for Impact podcast. Visit passionigniter.ca forward slash podcast to subscribe for episode notes, links and special offers from show guests. Cast your vote. Make your impact. One socially conscious choice at a time.